2: Welcome to Popcorn Psychology, the podcast where we watch blockbuster movies and psychoanalyze them. My name is Brittany Brownfield and I'm a child therapist and I'm joined by
3: Ben Stover, individual therapist.
2: Hannah Espinoza, marriage and family therapist. We are all licensed clinical professional counselors, also known as therapists who practice out of Chicago. Even though we are licensed mental health professionals, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes and to fulfill our love of dissecting pop culture in all
3: forms. Please remember that even though we are all licensed therapists, we aren't your therapist.
2: If you are struggling with mental health symptoms, please find a local mental health provider. So today we are finally going to be wrapping up our um, episodes on The Hunger Games. We're talking about uh, Mockingjay Part 1 and 2 in one go today. So everybody buckle up because we're going to be talking about drama, 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 drama. And I know we talk about it a lot. And unfortunately, within The Hunger Games, it's a bit unavoidable um so just in case you are listening to this episode cold and haven't listened to our other ones or haven't watched a single hunger games movie i'll give a brief synopsis of mocking j one and mocking j two so basically kat niss everdeen our main character is being used as sort of propaganda by district 13 in the military sense to kind of rise up all the districts against the Capitol. um while this is going on she also Is dealing with PETA kind of coming back. PETA has been taken by the Capitol and he's been brainwashed. And so in this episode, we're gonna be talking about sort of the ongoing trauma that we see for the Katniss, um, Finnick, who else? Joanna. Who else would be right? Gail. Gail. So everybody's going through it because everyone's in the midst of war in these movies. Both these movies, all our characters are in the midst of war.
3: Yeah, this is a straight up war film. Yeah, especially the second one.
2: Mm-hmm. And then we're also going to be talking about, like, like I said, Peta, and they use a lot of terms in this movie to reference sort of what happens to him, like with the brainwashing and the I think they call fear conditioning. So we're going to do some fact fiction about that.
3: Hey, Brittany, we're going to do real or not real.
2: Real, oh oh, <laughs> Benjamin. And then
3: we're
2: also going to be be talking about the dark triad and how it presents with coin, snow, and Plutarch. So yeah, we're going to, it's going to be a bummer, dudes. Buckle (laughs) up.
3: (laughs) It's going to be an opportunity to explore the dark, scary, awfulness of the human condition, which makes everybody feel warm and fuzzy inside. So I hope that everyone is prepared.
2: Yeah, but I feel like that's what's so infamous, sort of, about The Hunger Games and why it's so beloved is how it treats trauma yeah, and how accurately, in my opinion, it's portrayed trauma. So if you listen to our past episodes on the first movie and the second movie, we go into length, length about trauma and PTSD and how it presents and, like, I think Katniss, particularly, obviously, and PETA. Um, And this movie, we see the ongoing parts of that, like... The, literally, I think the first shot of this movie Is Katniss rocking um, In like a storage area Yeah, like she's sort of panicking And you can see that she's trying to ground herself By telling herself facts about herself In the book, th- she does this several times But I feel like in the movie This is the only time I really see her She does doing it, it. Sh- She does it twice Okay She does it twice in the... In these two movies. <clears throat> so she is saying, um, like, my name's Katniss Everdeen. I'm, I think she says I'm 17 years old or 16. I'm from District 12. So she's just kind of reminding herself of things that are true and facts that she can't, like, argue against. And that is a grounding technique. And so the it's term... A very legitimate yeah.
3: grounding technique.
2: And grounding techniques is a like umbrella term for coping skills that ground you into your body or into like quote unquote reality. So it can be using like facts of yourself. Like another good example is this in the show Jessica Jones. Um, Jessica Jones also does that. She grounds herself when she's panicking by telling herself all the names of the streets around where she grew up. So like Oak Avenue, stuff like that. She rec like, repeats that.
3: Right, It's it's an important process in countering dissociating into traumatic memories and when we talk about like learning to understand why that's important is because one of the things that happens is when we start slipping into functions of parts of the brain other than the neofrontal cortex when traumatic memory is triggered we are no longer using that part of our brain that allows us to function and process rationally and calmly and sometimes we reach points where we dissociate into past memories which the simplest way to put it, I had I heard in a training that really resonated with me, is it's essentially your brain switching from interacting with analog information to digital.
1: Hmm. Oh, nice.
3: But it is not only, it is your optic nerve responding yeah. to digital information. And when you think about how that's important, I'm a guitarist, and like the guy who did the training was too, so I'm going to share this metaphor because it spoke to my soul, because I understood <laughs> exactly what he's talking about, because I use a digital amp. And- With guitarists, our effects and our tones are a big thing. And the analog single from the electric guitar is always the same. It is always a clean electric guitar signal, but I can press buttons and make it sound like any amp I want with any effects that I want with my nifty Kemper. I love it. But why this is important is the difference of understanding how many songs that you can play in a row when you are streaming music through Spotify or Netflix or or not Netflix. Hello, YouTube. (laughs) I use Netflix to listen to music. (laughs) I'm having a day. Uh, Anyway, the, but versus how many songs can fit on a record that physically produces sound where you get Mm -hmm. four tracks aside. But remembering that when you think of memories, like if I asked you to think of a time when you played kickball as a kid, you, your eyes probably went up and to the left or up and to the right as you scanned your brain for the memories. And as you saw, you probably could see in your mind an image of playing kickball, being on a field, seeing the ball rolling at you, striking out, catching the ball, whatever happened in your particular memory. But you saw something. That is your brain taking a digital in information or digital, digitally stored information in the brain and then displaying it with the optic nerve. Okay. Which, when we dissociate, we leave reality and interact only with the digital versions of the information that exists in our brain and leave the analog, which is why Mm. grounding is important because that switches you back to paying attention to the analog signal, much like I can do with my amp is I can make it sound like any amp that exists with any number of effects. So I can go from a regular old clean, twangy guitar sound to making it sound like Brutal Metal. (laughs) (laughs) And then back yeah. to pretty guitar sound, you know, like with, with with the flick of a switch. But our brain does the same thing, and that's what we do with grounding, is we bring it back to this guitar is always going to sound like a clean electric guitar with all the stuff off, with all the processing off, it sounds like what it sounds like. And that's the same that goes when you broke out of that memory and switched your focus back to something in the room that you're in right now or the road that you're on driving, because then you got immediately grounded out of that memory, and it probably faded away a bit as you went, back to what i'm dealing with now and mm-hmm. that's why grounding is important because it keeps us out of the spaces that are not happening now mm-hmm. not to say that they're not real because that's not quite accurate because they feel very real mm-hmm. and the memories mm-hmm. are real but the feelings that happen are not corresponding to where you are right now mm-hmm. and that's what grounding is for
2: and just as a refresher so dissociating is when you like are not present in the current situation that's going on. Your brain's kind of trying to take a vacation, either in a good way or a negative way. And by mm-hmm. that, I mean either you dissociate and you come very panicked and scared, kind of what we see with her in the beginning, or you are just not there because your brain's trying to protect you from how scared you are in that moment by kind of pulling away.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. It's like in... What is it? Butterfly Effect or, or Shawshank Redemption? I can't remember where they, those they are two me.
4: very different
3: movies. Yeah, but they encounter the same problem that any other prison oh, movie does. Mm-hmm. Is like they tell when they come for you, you go someplace else in your head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That literally telling someone to dissociate.
2: Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, and so grounding like it brings you back into the moment, which can be really hard because you're. When you are that scared, like in the, not so much in the movie, but in the book, a lot of times when she can feel herself start to dissociate, she is like in the middle of like some of these battle scenes or like war scenes where she's being dropped into like ground zero of what's going on, and, and so you can feel a desire to dissociate in those moments as well. So you really have to be fight very hard and be very willing to use grounding techniques to stay in the moment. And it can be really unpleasant to do so because it might feel more pleasant to like go off in your mind. But then that can also be scary because when you stop dissociating, sometimes it really is like you're not collecting data at that moment and so it can be really jarring when you come back from it and that itself can be very terrifying. Because it's like you blinked and you're like in another situation or you've lost time.
3: Yes, and it is, it is terrifying. It is terrifying because one of the things that I think, in my experience with trauma, and I hold two different trauma certifications and work with trauma actively every, every, every day, um, all day, um, is that people do so much work Mm -hmm. to get to whatever degree of normal and reality that they can get. They fight for every inch of that. Mm -hmm. And the thing that they fear the most is opening that box and letting that stuff out and feeling like if I do that, I will be right back there. I have found Mm -hmm. that that is the hardest part
5: Mm -hmm. of Mm
3: -hmm. any trauma treatment. And to fail to understand that when you know somebody who's going through trauma, like why didn't you just get over it? Why can't you just do this? Why can't we just talk about it? Why can't you? That's why is because they're terrified. They will dissociate into it and lose all sense of safety that they gain from doing all of the things to ground themselves into current reality that they do that's a struggle every day. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like, I feel like one of the other things that uh, I feel like has just been coming up in, in general in my work with um, clients right now, is also trying to trying to help bring awareness to someone who is dissociating when that is happening that isn't really something that they have control of um in in terms of being triggered being in survival mode if it's something that has if you have a long trauma history it's something that also comes on quickly sometimes people can have awareness that it's happening and sometimes Mm -hmm. people can't have awareness of where it's happening and that is a lot of times based on where you are in your healing process for sure um and so just being aware to that and remembering That when people are having these experiences, um, uh, when people are having these experiences from experiencing a lot of trauma in their life, it isn't necessarily something that they have control over always. And just making sure that that is something that we are... Just, like, I just want to touch on it. Like, I'm not going to talk about it a lot, but it's just one of those things that I feel like people don't understand that piece of it. I think a lot of times there's this idea that we'll just don't think about it. Or, like, just don't do this. Or, like, you just need to calm down. And it's, like, that's not how this works. And I think that's a great point because it is kind of movie magic or amazing that Katniss has awareness that she's starting to just... Diso- because she's still... Like you said, ongoing trauma. she's still going through it and for for her to one recognize when she's dissociating, two have a set of skills to do when she's starting to dissociate and three have the wherewithal to do those skills and <laughs> when she's in the middle of it is unrealistic. <laughs> For a movie like this. Because we see her being like medically taken care of, but we don't really see her being like mentally taken care of.
3: I mean, I don't think that... I think that's one of the things that we want to talk about like with the ongoing trauma is that you can't heal from trauma when you are still going through it.
2: Yes. Yes. So (laughs) also, just like, side note, we are all currently still experiencing a prolonged collective trauma. There are things that we cannot do while that is happening mm-hmm. healing other traumas is a part of that and just in case you're listening to this in the future <laughs> it's uh march 2021 <laughs> yes <laughs> if you need some context for yes yes
3: we are recording this mid-march 2021 mm-hmm. near the exact anniversary yeah of when everything shut down the first time
2: Yep. Yeah, I can't think about it.
3: <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> sums up dissociation. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't think about it. I'm gonna go take a mental vacation. I'll see you later. And
3: it is and a think, circuit breaker in the head that allows you know, I am exactly. now overwhelmed.
2: And I think too, like a good like also bridging on what you were just saying, Hannah, which is a good point, is when I work with people who dissociate, they usually unless they've seen someone before me they don't really know that that's what's been happening. Yeah. Like, they'll just think they're flighty or space cadet You know what I mean? Or, like, mm-hmm. they usually will attribute it to something else if it's, um, um I guess, quote-unquote, a milder case of dissociation. But even not, I think because you can't really, when you're in it, you can't really, like, observe yourself. Yeah. So it's just, it can be, unless, until someone gives you maybe, like, an assessment on dissociating, it's hard to know. It's It's hard to self-diagnose. I think now it's getting more well-known in the mainstream, but it's definitely something that you probably may, there's a good chance you won't know you're doing it until someone like spells it out for you. And I feel like just really quick, I feel like it's one of the, we do a lot of psychoeducation in our, in our work with, with clients. So it's something that we talk about a lot. And so I feel like this is something that I feel like I get I probably have heard a hundred different descriptions from a hundred different clients of what dissociating is for them. And that when I give them that word, mm-hmm. that then it's one of those words that they use will start using all the time like it clicks in place for them in a way that and like anything does we can put our finger on something it feels like we have another piece of the puzzle and so i i totally agree with you Brittany. i think that it definitely happens where someone will be like i just don't feel i feel like i'm not connected to myself or i feel like i like i'm just or not i can't focus i'm not there in the room anymore but I like just i just tune but out I, Yeah, I don't know where, but I don't know where I go. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I can't remember what happened. And so it's one of those things of, again, what Ben was talking about is we can't input data while we're having that experience because our brain is taking care of us in a different way.
3: Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that there's a a book um, on on law enforcement and trauma uh, written by uh, a guy named uh, Dr. Gilmartin, and uh, that book is phenomenal it talks about this concept of the magic chair and you know like while this is common in law enforcement it's also common in other people who've survived trauma is essentially then they get into this chair or this couch seat or wherever they are and everything else tunes out like they watch a show or whatever is on but they're not there and they're just people you can see it when they're in that chair they're just whoosh whoosh gone
2: and i think maybe a good how it's been explained to me in like psychology classes I've taken is like highway hypnosis is a way that we can kind of under uh, slightly understand what it feels like when you're driving in your car, like a route you take all the time and then you kind of like jar and then you realize you've been driving (laughs) and you don't really remember. That's like as a like, that's how you can kind of wrap your head around it as someone who's never done it. Yeah, someone who's never experienced it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah and so yeah so the fact versus fiction of that is it is amazing that cat can do that while still in the mix because she's repeatedly it's not even necessarily that she's still in like a war situation in the movie but also she's being constantly like purposefully re-traumatized for the sake of military propaganda and that kind of thing. Like they're purposefully putting her in re-traumatizing situations. And even and even if we think about the buildup of between the movies, she is we're literally getting dropped into a scene where she is either having a trauma reaction or she's being traumatized. Mm-hmm. So for her to have that again, movie magic, for her to have that ability to do anything to calm herself down or even have awareness of when it's happening is would be pretty would be, I think it would be almost impossible for someone who experienced the amount of trauma because we're talking about someone who's getting big T traumas and little T traumas and that's all they're getting.
0: Like they're really, they're
2: not really any points of rest. They're not sleeping, having nightmares. The only real connection that she really truly has is the person who's the most stable and who I think she cares about is her sister. Mm -hmm. And so that is one of the things that I think really, um, I think she knows that she wants to be present when she's with Prim. Yeah, I think she still wants to be Prim's sister. Yeah. When she's with Prim. Yeah, absolutely. Well,
3: she doesn't want to be the Mockingjay at those times. And I think Katniss and other people who get dropped into combat, we have different modes that we are capable of. And once you engage that fight or flight system, that sympathetic nervous system kicks on, it will take over Mm -hmm. and you will respond to your training. You will respond to the things that you need to do. I think what's interesting about this and where the movie magic comes in, where I'm especially like kind of on board with you here, Hannah is that people can survive extraordinary situations. There are people Mm. who serve multiple tours in combat and are very resilient. But the thing that's missing from this movie that I feel like does not get glossed over is that those people have training.
4: That's what I was about training, to say, Training, yes. training,
3: and more training, briefings, pre-desensitization dense sessions to what they're going to see. They, they call it pre-deployment training. And sometimes with that, as awful as it is, is they are shown slides and films of what they're going to see mm-hmm. when they go to war. So that when they see it... It's not that thing that we see, like that first time Katniss encounters war when they're in the—I uh, don't know remember which district it is. What they're in when they go to that hospital and that first yeah. explosion that she encounters—and you see where, even though she's been in the games and mm-hmm. she's dealt with with deadly combat before, that being in war with the the loudness of the explosions and the mass destruction and death and smells and everything that hits soldiers that go to war are trained on this and while nothing can prepare you for what you're going to see fully at least having some kind of desensitization pre-started to that is something we greatly see missing the district 13 folks are probably going through this because they are straight up military Yeah. so the chances that they have mechanisms for this is high but we see the way Katniss is responding to things and dealing with things probably not that realistic because she's I mean she has experience now so you know maybe but yeah. the not having that degree of training and then the military training to be able to respond and function in a unit like she does.
2: Yeah, like she's a civilian.
3: She is a civilian. She's had
2: bad things happen to them, but still a civilian.
3: She does not have a base of training to rely on to go into automatic processes. And uh, when we see her interacting with the soldiers and the soldiers and her all moving kind of in sync with each other, like. Ah, no not so much the soldiers would do that she not so much
2: yeah and also she didn't and i think what also is movie magic is that and and how her attitude is in these situations is she also didn't choose to be there like she's being put in this situation a lot i
3: mean yes and no i mean
2: like i think as the movie progresses but she's being like it wasn't something where she's like like with gail like this is the cause that i want to take up and like and I'm going to get trained to do that. Like, she, she is still kind of, like, co- definitely coerced like Ga- to be a part mean, of it.
3: Right. Gail's a soldier at yeah, this point. Yeah, that's what I yeah.
2: mean. Like, his yeah. personality is yeah. going there. Well,
3: he's getting trained. He's doing yeah. the training. You can see from the way he's starting to behave, Gail is a soldier. Way
2: stands, like, as the movie progresses, even.
3: Gail is a soldier. Katniss is not.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
3: But let's not take away from Katniss. She is a straight-up badass.
2: Oh, A hundred (laughs) percent. Absolutely. So we'll just cover that. I mean, she's very, which I think we've talked about in the past episode, she's very resilient. Like, especially I think if you listen to our first episode. Yes. She's very, she's gone through it. Like, she's very resilient. She's learned how to take care. She's a survivor is what Mm -hmm. I would call Katniss. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure she's pulling on all of those instincts and all of that natural resiliency during these moments. But she's still like above and beyond resilient of what would be quote-unquote normal you know in, well, in real life i guess is what i'd say
3: yes so we see in this movie a lot of responses for her to be dealing with this ongoing trauma mm-hmm. we see over and over like we've talked about we see a couple different things that are we see her dealing with flashbacks mm-hmm. with nightmares mm-hmm. with dissociation mm-hmm. with full-on shutdowns yeah and we also see different times where she responds with resilience. What, yes. do, what do we see from the other characters?
2: Well, Finnick is, I think, like the second character sort of reintroduced in this movie, mm-hmm. if I'm remembering correctly, because he's in the med bay with her post the Quarter Quell. Yes, and he is—he's also kind of—he looks like- zoned. Yeah, he looks like someone who is dissociating in the first scene where he's sitting on the hospital bed and he's like kind of looking off. He's talking to yeah. Katniss, but he's kind of looking off. It, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. No, like you're saying perfectly right on track. It's the
3: thousand yard stare.
2: Yes. And he's kind of actively processing out loud. So he's talking to Katniss, but he might have been able, he might have said that to anybody Mm -hmm. because it's almost like he was talking to himself like i didn't save them i could have i froze i meant to do this and i didn't and so he's kind of actively processing what just happened and also i would wonder too a little bit of like survivor's guilt Mm -hmm. of like i should have done this i should have done that because he is a victor you know what i mean and that's part of it as well is that he's he's been living as a victor for a lot longer than katniss and so I think he has a strong identity with that of being very like capable and also he's taking care of a lot of people like Annie and and also like Magda just died like he's his identity is being really torn apart in that moment too on top of being severely traumatized. Absolutely. I feel like he I feel like one of the responses that we see besides him dissociating, I don't really feel like we see him necessarily using any grounding techniques. The knots. Oh, the knots. Yeah, he's you oh, see, I forgot. not in those scenes. Later in the movie, he's sitting next to Katniss, I think. And he's actively doing knots like all the because he's from a fishing district. Um, and so he's doing some complicated knot for no reason. It's just like a loose piece of rope. It's not like attached to anything or serving any function. So that, that, I felt that seemed to me like a little nod that he's doing a a grounding technique in that moment.
3: And he would be well, and don't forget that (coughs) that Finnick is from a fishing district (laughs) and knots are a tremendous part of sailing.
2: And it's something he's probably done a thousand times that mm-hmm. he feels very competent in that probably feels very attached to the things that bring him comfort, like home mm-hmm. and all those kind of things. And and it's something when it's repetitive, so he can do it a lot and not really have to think about it. Because a lot of grounding techniques, we've talked about like the naming things, but grounding can be really physical, like literally like ground you to your body. And so it can be like using your senses. Mm hmm. Like five, four, three, two, one. I never get this right. But it's like five things you can see, four things you can hear.
3: It doesn't matter which one.
2: Yeah, you just go three things you can like smell, two things you can taste, one thing you can touch, whatever. And so... Right,
3: any combination.
2: Yeah, and it's also just kind of feeling your body in the physical space you're in. It could be grabbing a piece of ice and kind of shocking yourself into the moment. And so he's using a more, I guess you could consider like passive one like he's not in a state of like crisis distress that we can see where you would need like to jolt yourself but it sounds like he's more trying to maybe bring down some baseline anxiety yeah i was thinking by he's trying nodding i was thinking he was trying to and not and not that this is necessarily different mm-hmm. from grounding but i think he's just trying to regulate his system yeah. like i think he knows that it was raised over all the bananas mm-hmm. shit that's been going on yeah. and he is trying to um he's trying to regulate himself and get back to a place where he feels like himself. Well, and also he's lost his persona. Yeah. And I think his persona was such a protective factor for him.
3: Maybe depe- not in the depe- best way. It depending, kept him from processing, depending on, maybe. But <laughs> I mean, yeah, it depends on... <laughs> you could
2: argue against her for that.
3: I I would argue against with okay. Finnick because Finnick is always playing the deeper game.
2: Yeah, that's true. Like, that's it's, true. it's
3: not so much that it's his it's his persona it's his power it's how he takes power back phoenix whole ethos is that he is taking power back by gaining secrets and trading in secrets and that he is slowly but surely capable of destroying those that are hurting him Mm -hmm. by giving them their pleasure and doing the things that he want they want with him but in doing so he then takes the power back that he can through secrets and pillow talk
2: I guess more what I... I, You're correct. I guess what more I mean, and maybe this is also what you're saying too so you can correct me, is like that shiny version of himself. That one that's very like, hoo-hoo, I know I'm hot and I'm giving like people... I'm eating sugar cubes and I'm like... Yeah, when we... So when I... What you're talking about, Brittany, is when we meet Finnick for the first time is when he comes up to Katniss. He's kind of flirting with her. He's like... He looks like... He's like glowing like he looks Um, they really yeah did something to make him look really stand out in terms of how attractive he is. And I feel like I feel like I know what you mean in terms of it being a role that he is comfortable in. Yeah, yeah. that can kind of help him escape. Exactly. Yeah. Be- and at the same time, I don't think that's him. Yeah, I agree.
3: I, I don't either. I think that that version is Phoenix Bruce Wayne. An actual no, Finnick ben is Batman.
2: For fuck, Benjamin! Sake. Benjamin how dare you got to do a whole episode about it? Like fuck. Okay, I, I know.
3: You, I am I wrong? Fucking Bruce Wayne, I
2: refuse. Am I wrong? You could have said Clark Kent.
3: No, Clark Kent is his like part of how he views his actual self.
2: Okay, we're not. I'm not yeah, gonna, we're not, not talking about, talking about Bruce about,
3: Wayne. About, I'm not Bruce Wayne is becomes the mask for Batman. <sighs> you know it's true. You know it's true think about think about Batman begins when he's like with the models swimming in the Yeah,
2: and he sucks yeah and that, that's yeah, not that. how
3: he is that's the mask that he puts on to be the playboy I don't that think people play Finnick has a is the same
2: yeah.
3: <laughs> Finnick is the same the actual Finnick we don't see until later when he truly reveals himself in the arena
2: why well, and also but I also think that he is his truest self when he's with Annie I mean we don't have to get on a whole thing with about Finnick but well yeah yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and also i guess what we also left out is i think doesn't he say in the beginning that they have annie too yeah they do Why he's truly like they've always had annie that's what he said to her in that scene that we've been talking about he says that to her yeah they They have annie Annie too yeah um and kind of i think to feel connected to katniss in terms of misery and i feel like one of the things that he part of what we see him do is is kind of just drop all of the expectations that anything is going to be okay and really just wanting to not be in pain anymore. So when he makes the statement of I wish that I was dead and I wish they were all dead too because just the existence that he has had is just so unbelievably painful that Mm -hmm. that is something that brings... A sense of hope that it that he won't feel mm-hmm. in pain mm-hmm. anymore and that and then also that they the capital won't be able to use mm-hmm. his pain against him by using by torturing the person that he loves mm-hmm. no it's that I mean it's it, it's a good example of why people can be driven to choose suicide
5: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, is it's an escape. It's kind of the way that I think I've said this before in the podcast, but the way like David Foster Wallace talked about it, who he also died by suicide eventually is um, it's like if you're in a burning building and you choose to jump out the window, like people don't think about the fact that the staying feels just as dangerous as the leaving. Yeah. In terms of suicide.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, that's where they cross the line, right? Is mm-hmm. when, when, when the staying feels more dangerous, right? Yeah.
2: Like you feel like the jumping out the window because he was talking about how nine eleven people jumped out the window, and they were like, "Why would they do that?" Because it's certain death, and it's like, but it was also the worst death behind them in the building.
3: Right. Right. Exactly that.
2: Mm-hmm. It's dark, dude. It I is- told you this episode's gonna be a bummer, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of any. Um, I can't necessarily think of anything else um, about Finnick right now. I feel like the next person that we... And we've definitely talked about um, her before is Joanna. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of... So she has been tortured with PETA. Yes. Th- the whole time that... Basically all of part one of Jay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So she has been... Just and like we and we talked about her before. I think we yeah. talked about her in the second um when we did the second episode about how kind of abrasive she is and how she kind of creates again creates this persona so that she doesn't have to connect to anyone because she doesn't wanna she doesn't wanna have to be in pain by them being able to hurt someone that she loves.
3: Right now, she uses her persona as a thing. She's different than Finnick. Like Finnick has yeah. his, but yes. his is a mask and hers. <laughs> that's different
2: is a defense is a true like defense mechanism all the time
3: right because he's manipulating he's not putting that up to keep you away from him he's putting that Mm -hmm. up so he can get close to you and manipulate you yeah Mm
2: -hmm. she
3: is totally different Mm -hmm. right
2: and and again i think we talked about too how she uses like her personality to kind of control by being like the angry person first and being kind of the outrageous person first to kind of like almost like the alpha dog like pissing all around the the room like she does that And so in this movie, she still has that. She still operates from a place of anger. Like she's so emaciated when we see her. And I think the first thing she does is she's like ripping out. If I remember correctly, she's like ripping out all of her cords, cords and IVs and stuff. And the first thing she says, I think to Katniss is everybody's taking care of you. Everybody's taking care of you and nobody's taking care of us because you're the Mockingjay and we're all basically nothing yep
3: that was some hardcore bitterness right there
2: mm-hmm. which i i get i get it well and when she's oh yeah the, well and when she says a thing to her about do you need a lung do you want one of mine yeah. like like just that idea of we because they're coming out of the quarter quell and she got left behind with Peta, and so she then had to endure this horrific torture that she had to go through so i mean it would make a lot of sense that that any anybody would kind of react that way um with yeah. Katniss, and I think the other thing that we see her doing is self medicating. um mm-hmm. She walks up to Katniss, she unplugs her. Oh yeah. What I'm assuming is a morphine drip, but I think that's just an assumption. Like we don't actually know what that is. They call it though. They, they refer to people as morphlings. Yeah. Oh, so probably yeah. is morphine. It's morphine. Okay. Yeah. So they um, grow poppies. Yeah. So. She, we can see herself medicating just, and my guess would be just to try to dull her, her senses a little bit for herself, um, in terms of the pain, and just I, I just can't even imagine what she experienced in terms of the torture that she went through at at the Capitol. Because I know that we feel like we have some sense of what happened to Peta, but I feel like we, I don't know what happened to Joanna.
3: Other the than same, only, yeah. The same, Peta, Peta Joanna, and. Um, Annie all went through very similar mm-hmm. experience but Peta was specifically targeted to yeah. become a weapon against Katniss.
2: Yeah. So she was very clearly like beaten and emaciated like not starved and all that kind of and stuff. And head
3: shaved and and, and,
2: mm-hmm. and but she's not with Peta. I mean she, he does look like like they're not feeding him. You know, definitely of the course. But they're also trying to keep him camera ready to a certain extent. And so they're definitely not doing that with Joanna, obviously. So my my assumption would be it's a bit worse in a different way. Yeah. Because they're not trying to, like, use her as, like, a shine. It's amazing she's still alive. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Unless they're trying to use the victors for something.
3: I assume that they were using Joanna and Annie against PETA. And torturing them to to torture him because you could say they could hear each other. So Mm, to deepen mm -hmm. the psychological torture of him, knowing that they're taking them and torturing them would be one of the ways to inflict further damage on him by hurting his friends.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Which is fucked up. (laughs) For sure. But you know, torture is not known to be a thing that people do. Of like, hey, let me uh do mm-hmm. some. Uh, it, you know, it becomes like it's not the old Monty Python skit with the Spanish Inquisition. Like, let get the fluffy pillows. Yeah, not the fluffy pillows. <laughs> yeah. But if you haven't seen that shit, it's, it's just amazing.
2: But I don't think we see Joanna do any grounding, which does not surprise me. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't believe that we do either. My assumption would be, and I don't know if I'm probably projecting a little bit because. Of my personality is that she wants to kind of live in her anger a little bit because she feels like I'm allowed to based on how she's been. Absolutely. I don't want to feel less angry. You all can go fuck yourself. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And I'm not going to ground myself or anybody. That would be my assumption (laughs) if someone suggested it. I think if she did grounding, she would do it where no one could tell us what she was doing. (laughs) If I had to. Yeah. If I had to make a guess about her about her personality
3: yeah I can't see her being vulnerable to yes. anybody whatsoever because when she talks about like being in therapy with the therapy like well, he tells me I'm gonna be safe and it's gonna be all okay oh yeah she does and that I'm safe that. now and she just has this air of contempt
2: yes she's not surrendering to treatment as we would say
3: uh no <laughs>
2: well she doesn't have well she doesn't have buy-in because she yeah. doesn't feel safe and nothing is safe if she's probably been stripped of every piece of humanity that they could take from her. I mean, when they torture people, that's what the goal is. So like, I I feel like,
5: I feel like her and
2: vulnerability are like at the complete other end from each other. And that I don't even know. And even when she softens in that one moment that she's talking to Katniss, um, when Katniss says, I'm going to go kill Snow, she she kind of says, like, I like this idea. This is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, But even the way that she... Like, her voice drops a little bit. She makes eye contact with Katniss. Like, her physical body shifts just a little bit. Not a ton, but does shift a little bit when she is, I think, feeling more connected to, to Katniss. When probably because Katniss is is displaying anger and revenge, which, yeah. which is what Joanna, I think, mm-hmm. ultimately really, really wants.
3: Yeah, and I think we see Joanna soften a little bit at the dance. But that's only right then when, when she sees that Katniss it's is, the
2: same it's the same scene.
3: Right. I know. Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, like Sorry. I
3: am no, just agreeing with you. Like we see her soften that dance, but the only time she lets her barrier down is when like it's all you know, she's like the Sith, the Sith of the story. Like, good. Good. <laughs> Let the hate flow through you. Yeah. You know, yeah, well, we see her yeah. do that.
2: Well, because like her narrative basically is like I think definitely think being reminded now of that therapist saying that she's safe, like that's that's not a great I get where the therapist is coming from and you're dealing with someone who was who was reaped as a kid then even though she survived that and did that correctly quote unquote correctly she was reaped again for the quarter quell she tried to do the right thing and be part of the group to like survive the quarter quell and then she got sort of reaped again by the capital and taken up and deprioritized and told that she was not important and then made unsafe again. So like, I don't know what that we don't see her with that therapist, but telling her she's safe is whack. Yeah. Like that's not a place like that's not ever. And, and it validating. Yeah. It's completely invalidating because it's assuming that that's all you have to say. Yeah. It's like, go oh, fuck yourself. Like you can't tell me that I am going to be safe. You, you don't know that. You don't know anything. Yeah. Like I've been unsafe over and over and over again. I've done it all right. And I still was made unsafe. Like I've been playing, I've been trying to play this game as best I can, and still I'm being unsafe. Be you know, been made unsafe. So like, fuck you, dude. Yeah. Like I think her energy, like that. Also, if you have a if you have a, a client who's coming at you with that kind of energy, like that's not how you meet them where they're at. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: She would have to feel that would just take. Uh, working with Joanna would be very much like a long-term, we're -hmm. just going to shoot the shit for like a year maybe, (laughs) if she even comes back. Like, you know what I mean? Like where it very much is Mm -hmm. her getting, like letting her in a little bit so that she can, because I think that's part of what, that's part of what I think has worked for her is finding different ways to get in with different people. Mm -hmm. So like as a therapist, I think it would make a lot of sense to kind of open, to open a little bit. To help her feel like she has a little bit of control, so that she can maybe try for two seconds to be vulnerable about one tiny thing again after like a year, she might do better with like group therapy <laughs> than individual. No, like, no, no and hell well, guess, no. Well, I guess no. this is what no, this is what I mean by that.
3: Okay, I'm sorry. Is
2: she's more? She can when she feels like she's can be somewhat related to with like catness, She can be a little bit more engaged. I guess she'd, she. I think she'd feel like maybe it's more like people her on substance use, like talking to someone who's been through it as well. Do you know what I mean?
3: I think with a with a with a debriefing kind of model or some kind yeah. of thing, like maybe. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about like straight, like that kind of thing, like maybe.
2: Like all the victors together in a circle. Uh, it would have
3: to be that. That's what I mean. Like, but like, but like I just like had this image of like her in a group and. That version of her that we get that would take That's off true. all her fucking clothes and dominate and piss on the floor like a cat. Like, not that she would piss on the floor, but I wouldn't put it past you her. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. th- that, like, I'm. G- what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Version of her would dominate in I a guess, situation like I that, I think. guess what
2: more I mean is that she needs to be relating to someone that she believes has has any concept of what she's been through.
3: That I agree with. Yeah,
2: absolutely. like Like, absolutely. if she was the vet... If she was like a military vet, like seeing someone who is, was also a vet yeah. or like in substance use recovery, a lot of times counselors are also recovering addicts, mm-hmm. which does help that buy-in, mm-hmm. um, within that therapy when people, cause people, a lot of people in recovery can be resistant cause they can feel like they're in recovery cause they have to be in recovery, not cause they want to be in recovery, which I think is why that model is used a lot. Um, so I think she would be more like a peer model if, and when she ever went to therapy, who knows?
3: she would it would have to be a peer i don't even think like a uh a a therapist assigning to her if that therapist hadn't been through anything would probably even be helpful for it and this is something they do in the military and definitely in police Mm -hmm. forces is they have a thing called peer support Mm -hmm. and um the the thing about that is that it's they're not therapists there are other officers who they they are given training i went through the training it's uh i'm not a police officer but i did go through the training it's uh, a 40-hour training where they are taught about how to talk to people how to make things accessible go through essentially like the clinical interviewing class that we go through
5: Mm -hmm. but
3: in an accelerated fashion Um, and given that and i think that she would thrive in a model like that with one of her peers someone like Finnick would be great at it but yeah yeah because he basically does it like you want to talk about like what a peer support model looks like Finnick is it
2: yeah and I mm-hmm. think that
3: he would be perfect that she would talk to someone like that and other people in a setting like that
2: mm-hmm.
3: that would that group would work mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm.
2: and just as a kind of a little bit of a side note peer support is used in a lot of different settings and has and is can be very is often very clinically appropriate in situations like this like when we um, we all worked at the same um, mental health uh, agency and peer support was a big part of that and I think that that also, it was a different relationship with the clients, but that it did seem to again having somebody who has any idea of what you've been through just makes it just takes the level down just a little bit in terms of this person might actually be able to grasp what the fuck I'm talking about. It just disp- and also it di- it 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 robs you of the of the barrier of well they just don't still get it so I don't have to listen to them yeah or it yeah, yeah. It, it strips away your ability to. To put that up as a barrier. Yeah. Absolutely. And then they sometimes can see more through, like, what you're talking about.
3: And have the buy-in.
2: Yeah. And so, moving then to Gale, very different. He's the only one we're talking about who hasn't been through the Hunger Games.
3: He has not.
2: Mm-hmm. And so, his story is slightly differently in that he more... All these char- the characters we talked about so far have been sort of... F- coerced, forced to be part of this stuff. And Gail, though he obviously is also kind of put in that position because District 12 is bombed and all that kind of stuff, he also has, he more autonomously chooses to join ranks. And, and, and you can kind of see that in his presentation throughout the movie, like the way he holds himself, like he slowly becomes more radicalized, I guess, for lack of a better word,
0: mm-hmm. as the
2: movie progresses, because he has autonomously chosen to become part of the resistance, I guess.
3: Yeah. He has... I mean, he, he endured so much, but he was also left out of their little group. Yeah. Because he was always on the outside of it because he wasn't a victor. He yeah. was just adjacent. And then for him to find an identity in people that have similar beliefs wants agendas that he does of let's take them down take them all down fuck them all kill them all
2: yeah it's a way to regain power
3: absolutely it is mm-hmm. i mean he was whipped in the square he watched his entire district be bombed he mm-hmm. has done so much but he needs a community that understands that and he becomes a warfighter yeah and not only a warfighter a leader
2: yeah Pretty quickly. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I mean, the, the rank of captain is not so; it's the third rank of officers in army and the any anywhere but the navy. Uh, in which case, captain is a equivalent to a colonel, which is one rank away from a general.
2: I like the way you said army because it makes me think of Buster from Arrested Development <laughs> and he'd say, "Mom, I'm going to army instead of the army. <laughs> army is a." I'm, I have the day off from army today, mother. <laughs>
3: I'm... No one likes you. <laughs> <sighs> Except Hannah. <laughs> Mostly I don't like you.
2: <laughs> that feels like a defense mechanism.
3: No, it's just whatever. the truth. <laughs>
2: oh no, God. but you're right. Like Gail, yeah, trying to regain power. Like you're saying, that's a good point. Like he's been on the outside of it. And so and I think he's also been trying so hard to relate to Katniss again.
3: And he doesn't. That got taken away from him. It's stripped away from him.
2: Yeah. And I think and I think even in this movie, he's constantly trying to reestablish their connection. And I think what's really kind of heartbreaking is that they can't ever reestablish that. Because now she's been through something that he can't comprehend. And no matter how much of this like war he gets involved in, it's never going to be the same. Because also their agendas are different. Not to get <laughs> too much into their dynamic, but their agendas are different now. She's just trying to live, and he's trying to rise up.
3: He's trying to to find his place in the yeah. world. Yeah. And find something that, that like, assigns meaning and restores that power to him, like, but still gets him Katniss. Mm -hmm. which is not on the table. Yeah. She, like, I don't know if anybody here has watched um, How I Met Your Mother, but, like, she has him on the hook so bad. There's a whole episode about that in, like, season five or six of How I Met Mm -hmm. Your Mother where they just talk about, like, all the people that they have on their hook. That person you keep around that you're never going to date, but you never let go, on the hook.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get into a whole sidebar discussion of that. (laughs) <laughs> because i, I don't know think you two are to full on
3: team pita i know i
2: know and also i don't think she keeps him on the hook i think that they are best friends and i think she's trying to keep she's trying i mean i think one of my favorite parts yeah of the book series and the movie series and i remember talking about when i read it was when he kisses her in the second movie and she's like bitch i have got bigger fish to fry than whether i want to date you or the blonde kid over there like refocus dude <laughs>
3: But That's not where she's at in this movie. She kisses him.
2: Yeah. But I so I thought you were going to say the moment when he says to her, mm-hmm. "I knew that you were going to kiss me because I'm in pain." Ugh. And because you want to try and help me with yeah. that. And kind of how he's kind of pointing out how it doesn't feel genuine. And you mm-hmm. can see the look on her face that I think in that moment she was she was trying to be genuine. I think she's trying so hard to feel I think she's trying so hard to help with the pain that people are feeling yeah, and how intense it is. And I think that she realizes that there was a rift between her and him mm-hmm. that's just based on the fact that they were together. Like, they were... They... We're keeping their families alive together. Like that yeah. is not something that you just walk away from. And I think you're absolutely right. I think Gail is very much trying to find a way to get back to Katniss. And maybe, and in some instances, which we also hear from families when there's a traumatic uh, experience, is that they want them to be who they were yeah. before the trauma. And I don't, and Gail doesn't necessarily give that impression at all, but I do think that he is trying, very much is trying to figure out how to line up with her in a way that feels like it used to. Well, I mean, throughout the movies, they try to reconnect via, like, hunting, being outside, that kind of thing. And as we see, like, in the second movie, like, she's not that person anymore. I think she tries to be at least, like, his friend again. Yeah. And maybe his girlfriend, if she can, like, get it up for that. And it's just not the time. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And mm. that and that when gail comes at her with that shit about, "Is it me or him?" the spot the yeah. the scene that you were talking about. He very much is off in terms of that is not where her head is, man. Yeah. Like you're coming at her with this like, "Well, but I had to watch you kiss him." And that was really hard. She's like, "Fuck you. I was in The Hunger Games. I was trying <laughs> to stay the fuck alive. <laughs> like, I can't talk to
3: you about this right, right now." Like you are you missing that that had nothing to do with feelings and everything to do with the show and you're over here talking to me about your feelings right now motherfucker this is war
2: they would definitely be two people that if they came to couples therapy i think hannah you would say i think you guys need to do individual work and then come back to couples therapy i think that would be (laughs) a one where you sit
3: down with both of them go like are we a couple right now yeah yeah no,
2: I feel like I feel like it would be I feel like I would very much lay on my um, my speech that I give couples about how hard couples work is and how long it's going to take and how it's not going to be fucking easy and that they're going to have to do shit outside of like I give a whole fucking speech because I'm not in there to fuck around. I am in there to help people <laughs> who are ready to be fucking helped and that in this situation, I think it would very much be like, are you guys Do you guys want to do this? -hmm. Is that what this is? The decision that we're making because this is the decision that's gonna that's that can't change. Yeah, you have to both be in this or you're not in it, and we can't have one foot in and one foot out Mm -hmm. because that fucks the ability of healing or creating or even being able to create a space where healing can be. I sorry, I went off on a whole. You're okay. No, because also like (laughs) we're we're kind of on a whole tangent about the relationship, but I think that Gail. Like we were just we were saying before, he is figuring out who he is in a a way that's almost pretty appropriate for his age. You know, like he's probably around 18. He's trying to, like, figure out what he wants to do as a man. And that's and sometimes when that happens, you just naturally grow apart from the people that you were close to at that age. So maybe they would have it wouldn't have worked out from that purely that sense. Mm -hmm. And also that she is not like you were saying um hannah she's not who she he she's not katniss anymore the way that he thinks for like catnip like yeah or how, whatever he calls her
3: right yeah she's, that's n- right she's right yeah. she's not catnip anymore yeah that version of her died is dead yes in the hunger games <laughs>
2: yeah <Yes>. yeah <sighs> all right so uh, is there anything else about gail before we should pivot to a a blown a little bigger topic of Peta?
3: I mean I think the last thing that we need to cover with with Gale real quick is mm-hmm. that hard shift away from him where we see him accept that he's never going to have her when yeah. he realizes that it was his plan, his design, it was very much a Sun Tzu art of war kind of design of having a bomb that goes off. Yeah. And then blows up again with a delayed explosion just enough time to draw them in closer, Mm. that it was his weapon that killed her sister.
2: Yeah, which, I mean, I can talk about this in Final Thoughts, but I feel like that was not necessary.
3: What, killing Prim?
2: Yeah, and just that, that that had to be the plot device that makes her choose PETA definitively. Yeah, because... He doesn't have they in the movie they very much make it seem like he had a lot more to do with that plan than he did. Like he brought that up as an option like in the second movie or in part 1 about how that might be something that they could do, but he didn't make the decision that that's what they were going to do when they were coming to fight the Capitol.
3: No, like, he didn't, but him and Beatty must have presented that idea to Coin.
2: I mean they were all yeah, they were talking about it, but I just feel like they Coin wasn't there. I just feel like they make it seem like he was definitively did that, and they don't do that in the book.
3: no, I mean, it, it says, he, he says he doesn't know, mm-hmm. but you know yeah. the under the subtext was like, you were part of this plan, and you fucking knew
2: yeah, and just it was a very clear marker of you are fully ensconced in this life, like the warrior life and I don't want not right in that, and I want to get away from it as quick as possible because I yeah. don't want to be in this anymore, yeah, yeah. So PETA. PETA is, as I said in the beginning, he, when he is being taken captive, he gets brainwashed, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, Well, he does get brainwashed and brainwashed to believe that Katniss is um, an evil person, the villain of the story. Um, And so he has the most like outside of what we've already talked about. He is the most physical presentation of like. Well, we've already talked about so far, like dissociating. You very clearly see him do that in the movie. Like he shuts down. Like he's like truly like will be sitting there and like not like not engaging in the world around him.
3: He he's very very traumatized, and PETA was put through that brainwashing, which was such. An intense experience that is so different than what anybody else was because pita was the only one who was made to be the kryptonite for katniss mm-hmm. that snow knew that the only way to get to her was to get to him
2: mm-hmm.
3: or prim but he couldn't get to prim and
2: yeah. they actually use the word dissociative state when they're talking about pita they use the word uh is it bb i think it is jeffrey wright's character. Mm-hmm. Glasses.
3: Beady, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. He, he says that he uses the term fear conditioning and associative state. So he actually does use two um, psychological terms, <laughs> like actual true terms, <laughs> when he's talking about PETA and what happened to PETA. And conditioning is, I know this is more your bread and butter, Ben, I feel like.
3: Behaviorism, yeah. Um, conditioning is when you, depending on whether you're going to operate on classical or operant conditioning, but which i talked about which episode did i talk about that and i don't feel like i get into that again
2: <gasps> i feel like it was pretty recent maybe not
3: it's not it no. was a while ago but <laughs> never I,
2: mind <laughs> i don't fucking know
3: but i remember
2: it but i don't know but what i, guess, so it I guess i guess anyway. I just
3: but basically yeah. what when we see is they are trying to build on both the natural instincts I feel like they do both operant and classical conditioning on PETA, but what they want to do is essentially build an association in his brain between Mm -hmm. violence and threat and Katniss so that he attacks her, and they try to create an alternate reality in his head where she is a mutt. In other other words, like a a bot created in order to be used against everyone and that she really needs to be stopped. So they, they are... Fucking with his fi- foundational memories. Like as he starts talking about what is happening, is they started working on changing memories, and they started reinforcing that, and then also using the tracker jacker venom, which is a hallucinogen,
5: mm-hmm.
3: in addition to several other things that they did to him uh, in order to like convince him that different parts of his life weren't even real, yeah. and and so by conditioning him, they're they're. They're pairing a physical response in his body with these images and it's either going to be a positive response or a negative response and they use that to manipulate how he's feeling and they also put him into an altered state in order to make him more susceptible to that and limit his access to other types of information.
2: So it's like Pavlov dogs if they also put them on LSD. Yes.
3: (laughs) Yes. But yeah. not not just Pavlov, also Skinner.
2: hmm Yeah.
3: And training people, training things to you know, people to do specific things. It's Oh, you yelled at me and now the, like the the name of the experiment totally left my brain. Skinner? This no, that the CIA did. MKUltra. Ultra. Yes, MKUltra. Ultra. This the experience that PETA went through was obviously tied to MKUltra, Ultra. which the uh CIA t- and also what was going on in russia or in korea is when people were captured they were allegedly being the pow's were allegedly being put through mind control experiments and what was happening with this is i can't speak to what was going on on the russian side because i know those people were allegedly killed i can't speak to that i don't know the truth of that that's just out there that's out there i you know not speaking to the uh verifiability of that but what did happen with mk ultra in the united states and also in canada because we would do these experiments at mcgill university and in the vicinity but the u.s government experimented with this using lsd which based on what we saw with katniss and what the tracker jacker venom did is very similar it is a hallucinogen that disrupts your ability to process reality and once they put people in that state they then try to start trying to confuse them on what's real and what's not real, and when they buy into what they are being told is real, they get reinforced. And typically, that's with getting to eat or getting to do things. And uh, th- that's pretty pretty clear. What happened to Peta is that he would get positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement, and the difference between negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement is not one is a beating and the other is a treat is that negative reinforcement is the removal of an unpleasant stimulus. So they're going to beat him so long as he thinks Katniss is good. And as soon as he admits Katniss is not good, they stop beating him. So he learns real quick. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. if I react angrily to images of Katniss or ideas of Katniss that I don't get beat
4: mm-hmm.
3: starts to change how people will respond to things because they will begin to build an association between that stimulus and the conditioned response, which the conditioned response they want is violence mm-hmm. and hatred. Um, so that her love turns against her and they may weaponize them. But like with with MK Ultra, it's got they use the same kind of stuff. It is so fascinatingly and uh, terrifying that they would get unwilling participants and they would test LSD responses with them and whether or not they could get people to do behaviors that they did not want to do and wipe them. So it's a blend of what we see happen to PETA and Winter Soldier. So- yeah, that's mm-hmm. what
2: I was just thinking, how similar this is. Thinking about the processes in terms of reshaping what they're seeing um, and changing their memories and trying to kind of zap zap the truth out of their heads.
3: Right, and that's what exactly what they would do. And mm-hmm. they would—they did this in a couple different ways. They used hypnosis. They used sleep. They would try to reprogram people's memories with electric shock and and responses while people were sleeping and forced under sleep with uh, drugs for like twenty some days. And they would also use sex. They in um, California in San Francisco they built a house that they had a mirror in that the 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 guy would hide behind it and they would try to see at what point people are most susceptible to reveal information after sex using prostitutes mm.
2: sex workers
3: sex workers <laughs> we'll <will> rephrase <laughs> yes. this was what the were called at the time yeah, so that's what all the sure. literature says but yeah. yeah we will rephrase to sex a workers a body lady I am all right with that. <laughs> we are all good with the rebrand here. That's fine. Uh, but that it, they would incorporate sex workers and LSD into seeing when they could manipulate people's thoughts. And it just, it. there's so much of those themes that are drawn into PETA that you have to wonder, like, what all was he put through?
2: Well, because he looks like shit.
3: He looks like, He terrible. looks like he's
2: probably been sleep deprived. Like you were saying, they probably would with- uh, clearly, we're withholding food in some capacity because he looks like he like looks, he's so skinny. He looks gaunt. He looks yeah. exhausted. He looks he looks he looks unhinged. I mean, when we see him in when we see him laying in the hospital bed and he has the restraints on his and he's, he's just screaming, screaming and yeah. just trying to get loose. Like it's such a visceral response to someone who who is. Who thinks that their life is in danger?
3: Yeah, it is, and it's such, a, and that's what the, the response is. Like we see them start to pair this response that exists naturally within the body, which is to have terror, to have anger, to have fight, to fight, to kill things that are a threat, and they start pairing that with Katniss. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they work on him really hard by putting him in dissociative states, planned dissociative states delusionary states and they make him question what is real and what is not real and then when you start pairing that with well you don't get food you don't get that you put people into such a state of biological dysregulation dysfunction i'm mm-hmm. sure they sleep deprived him oh yeah and put him like there is so much behavioral response where they are trying to pair a conditioned response to a natural stimulus and the reverse where they get a natural response to a conditioned stimulus, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is the difference between operant and classical Mm -hmm. conditioning. And it's terrifying what happens to him.
2: And you can see like you were saying, Hannah, like how genuinely scared he is. Like when he talks to Prim, he is panicking and he's trying to help save her. Like he's like, we are with a monster now. Like we need to get out of here.
3: Right, everything she says is a lie, and yeah. then as you get something reinforced, the more times you hear a particular mm-hmm. message, the more time, the more likely you are to buy into it, yeah. regardless of how many times the, the the repetition bias is what that's called. So every time Snow is telling him mm-hmm. Katniss is evil, Katniss is evil, he's likely sticking to very short. Very simple and very clear messages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we just saw that happen to our country.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: when you start hearing people repeat bullshit.
2: you talking about Q? I yeah,
3: am Q-anon? absolutely talking about QAnon.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oof, my goof.
3: Where you see these clear bananas ass ideas, but they continue to get recycled. Yeah. over and over and over again and they're simple you can latch on to them you can hear them and then all of a sudden because you keep hearing it your brain starts wondering oh well, maybe is that true especially when you get put into some kind of fucked up state by substances
2: well and also like i think it's a it's making me think of people i've worked with who have like who had abusive childhoods like when you're when you are when you're livelihood and by that i mean like the person who is literally feeding you and keeping you clothed like is telling you a certain narrative even if part of you thinks like that can't be true you know you start believing it because they're shaping a story for you and to defy that story puts you into harm
3: yes ah shaping shaping is a good word good because (laughs) yeah like sorry i feel like a little disjointed here because like getting into a whole conversation about what behaviorism is is a lot. Um, but <laughs> basic, It's
2: literally a whole school of thought, y'all.
3: It, it's a whole school of thought and it's it's used pretty actively for people that aren't able to communicate well. It's used... There's a whole school of it called applied behavior analysis that they mm-hmm. use in, to work with people who are nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And, um, it has its place in the world. I don't know enough about it to say whether I agree with it, disagree with it, but what we do know exclusively is that it works. Mm-hmm. And it's like similar to the way that we train animals. Your your dog likes you because you feed it.
4: Mm-hmm. And you
3: pet it and you take care of its needs. It's mm-hmm. not because that they're just inherently friendly. I mean, dogs have been bred to have that. But it's also because we take care of their needs. And dogs respond to training. They start realizing that if I stop peeing in the house, I get to eat treats and get pets.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: I'm going to stop peeing in the house.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And that's why that the the adage of like treating them and having a puppy party outside when they pee outside versus the old adage of whipping them and beating them with a the newspaper mm-hmm. because one teaches them ah i'm supposed to pee here
4: mm-hmm. got
3: it and the other teaches them i'm not supposed to pee ever mm. yeah which mm-hmm. is impossible and then anxiety starts because they're going to pee and yeah. then they hide and they get scared and they pee and then they, they try to slink away from it and it creates this state of distress mm-hmm. depending on how we train so people are animals i you know <laughs> that this is an indisputable fact we are trainable so like this stuff we see with PETA like some of the people ask and i've seen articles about it we're like could this theoretically happen to PETA or what PETA happened could that theoretically happen
4: mm-hmm.
3: and the answer is indisputably maybe
2: yeah <laughs> well, and, I th- and I th- it's plausible and i think like like we've talked about like i mean this is a very like obviously it's a movie it's very fantastical like what happens to him is very fantastical even though ben you've given a lot of great like real life examples of similar situations and how he how he like how it manifests after the fact is very real In that he is, like we said, like, well, what's really disgusting is just like Katniss, they throw him into battle when he is freshly out of basically being a prisoner of war. And... Oh, my God. So disgusting. And so, of course, he immediately, repeatedly falls apart. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
3: I, like, there is no circumstance where anyone should have let him anywhere near that battlefield, anywhere near Katniss at all. He needed months of treatment and deprogramming.
2: Yeah. And so he- And it's such a clear, sorry, Brittany. N- oh, no, go ahead. And it's such a clear um, move by Coin to put Katniss in danger automatically mm-hmm. and, and the team and the team for that fucking matter. And so he experiences like a big, I think a big takeaway from the books that people have is like the real or not real. Um, and that is something he is doing in the moment to to ground like mm-hmm. but needing other people to help him ground by like reality checking for him is like is what's going on really going on because what he is experiencing which is a which is a like a sub sect of dissociating is I can never say it's such a mouthful derealization <laughs> which is when you aren't like one of the criterias is like your feeling of being alienated from or unfamiliar with your surroundings. Like the way that I hear it explained a lot in like the non-movie world is I feel like I'm in a movie. I feel like I'm in a dream. I feel like I don't like I look at things and they look weird. Like they don't look real. Like I look at the trees and it looks like I'm on a movie set as I think that's how I usually hear it from people I work with who have experienced it. And I think He's not just dissociating. He's also derealizing like he is not because his his, you know, his version of reality has been fucked with so much, which is like I was saying, when you like in the real world examples can be like when you've had a lot of childhood trauma, when that your concept of the world has been fucked with so much. It can cause, like, you're dissociating can also cause this. And another version of it's depersonalization, which is when you don't feel like you're in your body, like you're watching yourself from outside of yourself, or you don't feel like you're you. So this can be two distinct subsects or, like, um, detailed versions of dissociating. And he's clearly, you know, obviously suffering from the derealization version.
3: Yeah, he doesn't know what's real what 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 if his memories are even real? They mm. did such a thorough job, and I think what makes the way that this happened to him like a plausible thing is that while it's not easy to get something to last, and you generally cannot get someone to a state where they're so responsive to things like the Winter Soldier, where you can trigger them into a different state, like that's not not so much. Yeah, mm-hmm. that d- didn't work. But where you can make someone question their reality is one of the theories of memory that is talked about a lot. And it's talked about in one article that I read about this. And it's also something that I learned about in hypnosis is learning to understand that one of the theories of memory is that we essentially remember a copy.
2: Yes. Of I think
3: about the that last all. time we me remembered too. something. I
2: think about that all the time. Me too, Brittany. I think about all the time. <laughs> and and that, it freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs>
3: And what PETA was talking about almost was like that they had him go through pictures and things of his life, and they put some in that were real and some that were not.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think, too, like other, because I'm looking up the symptoms of realization that I think possibly impact what's going on for PETA, but they, it's not explicitly stated in the movie or the books, is you can feel emotionally disconnected from people you care about. The example they gave us is if you're separated by a glass wall and you can have distortions in perception of time, such as recent events, something like distant past. So you don't really have a concept of like the <clears throat> timeline of when things happened. And you also are struggling to feel connected to the people in front of you, which I guess we also see a version of grounding where he can't get his shit together and Katniss like kisses him, which could have gone terribly wrong. oh yeah it's like waking up a sleepwalker kind of thing like that could have really backfired on her and it could have grounded him into his physical body because she's touching him which some people do like like being physically grounded by someone else but sometimes like especially when you've been traumatized like there's a very big possibility that he would have like strangled her then yeah or like her. yeah or Or, just freaked out and accidentally hurt her like bitter or whatever
3: but Yeah, and especially when you combine it with that memory theory of basically that every memory you remember is just a photocopy of the last time you remember it. And they inserted false files into his head, which threw him into the derealization because now he doesn't know what's real or not real. And it took him quite a bit of time from when they rescued him to when he's doing... Because I think some time passes in this movie. Yeah. And when he's going through this, we see him start to separate out from that and start forming new memories and he's he flat says like i can tell which ones are the fake ones because they 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 have a shine to them Mm. they feel shiny they don't have like the grit of like a real memory but it's it's hard because they just Mm -hmm. pop up and like because they pop up it's like he's learning to recognize again and uncover the depths to what they did to him while they put him in altered states of consciousness. And when we are in altered states of consciousness, we are more susceptible to believe things.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm, buddy. I mean, yeah. Because you see him, like, because he, kind of going backwards to, like, he accidentally kills that soldier, remember? And then he's like, you should just kill me. Like he, I don't know.
3: That I just feel bad accident. for PETA. That was no accident. Well, he
2: was defending himself in that moment.
3: I mean, he tried to kill Katniss with the butt of his rifle. He yeah. He went, I mean, that will kill you. A butt strike to the head will kill you. That is not like a, <laughs> The URS is dead. It'll break your skull. Um, mm-hmm. They're designed for that. And if had he caught her with that, she would have been yeah. in trouble.
2: So it is kind of one of those moments, like the kissing moment is kind of what we've ragged on before, which is love will heal you, bro. If
3: you
2: just love hard enough by the right person. And how he automatically comes back to the same demeanor that we are used to seeing PETA in. Yeah. In any of the other movies before this horrible, terrible Mm -hmm. experience happens to him. Um, He, because like he also, because like he drops right down and his voice sounds like how he used to sound. And she says, stay with me, and he's like, always. Yeah, like, and he just, that whole idea that that would happen that way is just silly Mm -hmm. Um, and just is unrealistic in a a thousand (laughs) different ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think what is interesting about in that.
1: (sighs) Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny.
2: What I think we've been talking about a little bit is this reality checking, and that that is actually something that Mm -hmm. we use to help people, to help people ground themselves, and also to help any way that we can help push past something that may not actually be happening or someone may not actually be experiencing, but they like in for them that is what they're experiencing. And so trying to. Nope, lost your train of thought. Lost my train of thought. Take a drink. Damn boy. it. Um, <laughs> no, but I think I think Fuck. it is. Somebody got it, bingo. Yeah. Well, because where he's at, which is when you would use reality checking, is when you have comprehension and awareness that you're not always experiencing reality. So you have to be in a place where you can know that about yourself, and then you also have to have trust, like in the people that you've picked to help reality check. Like when I've done it in therapy, it's usually like a parent or a partner, someone that they like have assigned to be sort of their reality check person. And that they trust that person and they trust that that person's going to tell them the truth. And he's not in a place Mm -mm. to one, I think maybe fully acknowledge that. Well, I mean, I know you're kind of saying, but I don't know if he'd be there yet, but also that he doesn't trust Katniss to be the real, not real person for him.
3: I mean, they did such a thorough job of breaking down his reality, that yeah. they don't, they he doesn't even know if she's a real person. Yes. If she is a real person, is she dangerous?
2: Lizard person. That's more of the QAnon.
3: <laughs> I mean, well done. Well done, right there, because the mutts in this particular movie, uh, you know, the lizard people, lizard people, and in the book they were way more like crocodile-y than they were in this. Yeah. Like, because I think the, the these movie- ones look like
2: the movie from the movie Descent. Have you ever seen that?
5: Let's talk about MediCal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows MediCal better than Molina. Visit Meet Let's talk today.
4: plus no matchy
2: those things are scary cave people
3: <laughs> ah, but was <laughs> yeah th- he in the book I remember like reading this and going like nah bro They're I know like the concept of mutts got nerfed for the, the oh movie. yeah
2: Oh, yeah, it was much more terrifying in the books than it is in the, the way that they presented it in the film.
3: It is, but it was a little on the fantastical side. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I mean, you can use your imagination, but I saw, like... Straight up, like the alligators from Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time.
5: <laughs> oh my god!
3: <laughs> that is what I saw. You Like the alligators that come after you, like you yeah. know, like that. Yeah. So that's what I saw um, <laughs> that's in one my of those head. Parts in a book where,
2: like, you read something and you have to take a beat and be like, "Okay, I got to really visualize this." Yes. What does yes. this look
3: like? Right, yes. and I saw that I'm like. <laughs> You know, all I'm seeing is Ninja Turtles beating the shit out of these things. Uh. <laughs> this is not doing it for me. I'm sorry. And the way they did it in the movie, like, really kind of corrected that. <laughs> like, so like silly. I just want to be like, Cowabunga! You know, I like, think, <laughs> get a pizza, man. Let's go. But anyway, off my nonsense. The... Yeah, it's did such a thorough job that with PETA that like when people ask about this on the internet or I see in forums or whatever because I do do research on these things before we start talking about it is that like watching this and seeing how thoroughly they his world got disrupted and how he's questioning it and the amount of derealization you have to know that we did this to people mm-hmm. and that it's still done to people and we just saw thousands of them charge our capital. So yeah. if you have questions about can this happen, can people be reprogrammed, can people change, can people turn on their families, yes. We have yeah. cults, we have mm-hmm. people that change religions and change behavior completely, not necessarily that it's going to be negative because of that reason, but they yeah. still fundamentally change their worldview and aspects of their personality. And you know, it, it is possible for people's concept of reality to be completely changed. Mm-hmm. so this this stuff that happened to peter particularly when you add the drugs the isolation the beatings and all the things like it is plausible that this could happen to him
2: yeah and also i mean i think too you're what you're kind of saying too ben something i repeat a lot in therapy when i'm working with like families or partners where they're not understanding or they're not quite understanding like why can they be thinking this why can they be thinking that is our perception is our reality you know, there's there's not really a one true reality. Your reality is your perception. And that colors a lot of what how you take in information and what the world is to you. And so because of that, it can be altered pretty easily mm-hmm. and pretty substantially. And, and poor little PETA. I mean, it was, it's going <laughs> to take a long time to unravel it and it does kind of now that we're talking about it out loud god damn it these you know this show really ruins movies for me sometimes guys because now that we're talking about this all a lot i'm like could he ever really be with katniss and i want to think about that right oh, now okay no. i yeah. just want to like the things i like <laughs> in this year we 2021 just- of march okay
3: <laughs> okay so i mean i think we, we've, we've we just hit,
2: love peter so much
3: <laughs> we've hit peter pretty hard i mean like yeah. like this is a topic that could go on and on Like yeah. learning, like We could do a whole separate episode launching into the deep dives of what is behavioral theory, what is classical versus operant conditioning, how would drugs and altered states of perception impact this, and that's a tremendously deep, deep, long discussion that is a two-hour episode by itself, Mm -hmm. at least.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. So I guess we'll launch to our last category, which is the dark triad.
3: Yes, I'm excited about this, because I was having a discussion with my friend Abby about this, where she sent me a message asking me about what is the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath. And I felt like, well, the first thing is that neither of those is diagnosis. Yes. So I'm going to start there today. But enough people ask us about this all the time. Like, well, isn't somebody a psychopath? Or What's a, what is a psychopath? What is that? Ooh. Like, is this person a psychopath? Is that character a sociopath? So let's take a second and cover real quick that neither of those, none of those, mm-hmm. is a formal diagnosis. We do not have a formally accepted diagnosis in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, 5th Edition of (laughs) mental health disorders for a psychopath. That is not a thing. So I am not offering a diagnosis of who is a psychopath and who is not in this film. What I am going to talk about, though, is the interpretation of three of the major players in this film who, to me, I see it was what happened, is the author, Suzanne Collins, broke down the different aspects of what make up the dark triad, which is one of the theories on what actually makes a psychopath, and those three things.
5: Let's talk about MediCal. You have a choice, and Melina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Melina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today
4: in that case, I pronounce you
0: lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: R, Machiavellianism, narcissism, and psychopathy. Those are the three traits that make up what we call the dark triad of personality features that make up a psychopath and why i'm going to specify that those are personality traits and not diagnosable things is because we don't have a diagnosis for personality traits only these are aspects of behavior that can be categorized and defined and identified through testing but they are not things that are absolutely 100 percent predictive of behavior but if you can see through patterns of behavior any of these three things then if they combine that's what tends to be present in serial killer personalities okay mm-hmm. so i'm going to be very careful about how i word that um and let's talk about these characters in this way so in my interpretation of this The Machiavellianism. Machiavellianism is based on Machiavelli and his philosophical book, The Prince. And essentially what we see with these people is they are cold, callous, calculating, self-driven, and definitely focused on manipulation and means to an end. The Book of the Prince is basically arguing that it is absolutely okay to seize a throne through manipulation. And in this, we see Plutarch.
2: Yes. Yes.
3: Plutarch has almost no emotion. He is calm. He is hyper-rational. He is fixated on the prize and on letting things happen. And he has, uh, you know, absolutely a means to an end
5: Mm -hmm.
3: component to his personality. He is all about the ultimate goal. And then we see the narcissism in Alma Coin. She will intimidate. She will. St- she wants the attention. She mm-hmm. wants to be first. She wants to be right. She wants the spotlight on her, and she will intimidate and crush anyone who gets out of there. And I feel like Boggs' speech to her about Coin, like the minute that you hesitated on the answer of "Do you think she is the right leader to this?" you became a threat to her. That yeah. is narcissistic thinking.
1: Yeah. If Absolutely. you
3: are a threat to my status as absolute leader, then you will be eliminated.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And that speech that Boggs gave her is why Katniss, who is super smart, and Haymitch, when she was asking them to vote for whether or not we should have a Hunger Games with the Capitol children, why she agreed? Because she knew if she didn't, she was dead.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: That Katniss could not not support her because the minute Katniss did not support her, she became a threat.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Which then brings us to the psychopathy, which would be the malevolent part. <laughs> and if we want to talk about who has a malevolent spirit in this film, it should not be Yeah. equivocal. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: That it is President Snow.
2: It's our boy Snow. <laughs>
3: There's sure no is. doubt about it.
2: Sure the fuck is.
3: President Snow shows a routine pattern of cruelty, mm-hmm. a pattern of antisocial behavior, a pattern of taking what he wants, doing it his way, and inflicting pain and damage on people that cross him.
5: Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Melina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Melina. Visit meetmelinaca.com. Let's talk today.
4: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? absolutely
3: shows this. And I think that what we saw was the author split all three of these components into what makes the psychopath into three separate characters to give it different angles through which different motivations and different aspects of this might be explored rather than have one character show all of these and be unlikable because the, the, you know, spoiler alert, the interesting part of this film is that we see the twist that coin wants the throne and snow is aware of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Snow knows the game. He's the one who clues Katniss in on, to hurt her further. He doesn't do that for any other reason. He's not doing that to explain himself. He's not doing that to, to help her understand what's going on. He is doing that to hurt her and going, I am not above killing children. I will kill children, yeah. but I am not wasteful. Mm-hmm. You just threw in and supported deposing me for someone worse. And mm-hmm. I am now going to enjoy... Your pain. That's why the last scene we see of him is him laughing,
2: yeah, Mm -hmm.
3: hysterically when she shoots Coin in the heart.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: So when people ask us about this dark triad, these are all three people. Imagine the utilitarianness of Plutarch, the wickedness of Snow, and the need for attention that we see with president coin and if you see all of those wrapped up that is the common in one person that's the commonly accepted diagnose or definition not diagnosis of what a psychopath is Mm -hmm. so when you ask us this question remember that dark triad those are the traits that people look for that in order to make that up Mm -hmm. but again i will reiterate this is not a diagnosis Mm -hmm. it is not a term you will hear us go through a lot because it is not something <gasps> that we offer any sort of diagnosis for. And I know that we have covered this extensively, especially in our Halloween episode, mm-hmm. which if you haven't listened to that one, that's a really good. one. when we talk about ACEs.
2: Yeah. And, and also one thing I'd like to say too, and why we don't use the term psychopath and sociopath is that it's not person first language. It's, you know, not someone with psychopathy, someone with antisocial, you know, it's, Because when you and why you want to be careful about that is when you don't use person first language, you're kind of dehumanizing them. Mm -hmm. And so, especially when people say things like psychopath and sociopath, what you're also communicating is this person's not a human. They're like a a demon, a monster, a villain, whatever. Absolutely. And so, that's why that's not used ethically, is because ethically you have to use person first language. Mm -hmm.
3: Right. Right. And many of the traits that are, like, covered by that can be, like, a person living with antisocial personality disorder, which would be the person-first language way to say it because, Mm -hmm. like, the argument of nature versus nurture has not yet been solved with this, and you have to remember that usually these things did not develop in a vacuum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That some of these traits are inherent, and their person is born with and it is not their fault, and some of them are due to things happening to them. Mm
5: -hmm.
3: But remember, like, when we think of, like... The trait of psychopathy, we're talking about low empathy, high impulsivity, mm-hmm. malice. Mm-hmm. But that's not a diagnosis. Yeah, A set pattern of observable behaviors because those things exist, that then can be a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But hopefully we have cleared that up and that you can you know, like see it and have this interesting thing to break apart. Like, wow, if I saw all three of these together, you see why with serial killers they put on a show Mm -hmm. they want the attention Mm -hmm. they view people
2: it's like why like the bb what's the guy called the bbk killer or something he got away with it some guy he got away with it for a long time and then he like called in himself to like something to like brag because he wasn't getting attention because that's how he got caught
3: because they're narcissists yeah why why every serial killer wants their story told they do a show why it's a show why it becomes a thing is because they have all three of these they view people as a means to an end they're playing a game with the detectives chasing them they want to have people see what they're doing Mm -hmm. and they want the attention for it and the notoriety
2: like the zodiac killer sending in those uh coded letters to the news
3: right right Because then they get all that attention. So that's how those three things tie together is that you see the malice, the impulsivity, the lack of regard, lack of empathy, and then the careful manipulation and planning Mm -hmm. and viewing people as a means to an end, not as an entire person. is that, you know, if you have to die in order for me to get what I need to get, then you have to die. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: And that's just going to be the way it is.
2: Well, on that note... (laughs)
3: <laughs> we promised you happy happy fun joys, <laughs> sunshiny cheery topics today right at this top right that's what we said
2: yeah i think so, so. i don't know i okay. mean i know typically this is the point where we talk about treatment but i feel like we've kind of been talking about treatment sort of throughout i don't know if there's anything is there anything particular that we haven't talked about with treatment that we'd want to touch upon with any of these characters Can you hear us? Can you hear us all thinking really hard? I'm thinking of because <laughs> we
3: we already covered a lot of this in the other two episodes. That is true. Well on yeah. this, like I think we do see at different points, and I think once Katniss and Peeta have had children, mm-hmm. I thought Katniss's speech was like this blend of, to her child was like a blend of heartbreaking and uh, powerful of like her taking ownership that. Maybe these nightmares will never stop. I'll never stop seeing the things, but we can essentially build a better world.
2: Radical acceptance as well of like what is mm-hmm. and right. and finding peace with where she's maybe at, which is that because I think where I can see a lot of hopelessness in therapy is that people feel like if I don't feel better, like or if I don't feel like with symptom free, I don't I'm not progressing or I'm not well, or I can't be successful or happy. And so it's more the way I think of it to clients is like, <clears throat> the point of therapy and treatment isn't so that you never have these symptoms. Ideally, you'll have less, less of them, you yes. know what I mean, and less mm-hmm. severe and you'll be more stable. But it's more so that you know what to do when these things occur. And so if you can find some sort of acceptance that, Like you were saying, Kat was saying, like, I might always have nightmares every once in a while. I might always have heightened anxiety. I might always be triggered by certain situations. And I feel more empowered now that I know what to do when they happen. And sort of like, and so not using it as a, as a, um, what's we're looking for? Like a a touchstone for like how well I'm doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I
3: think. Like anybody who's uh, listening to this who's actually done work with me will be familiar with this. I don't know if I've ever told you two about it, but so I know I saw Brittany went on TikTok and one of the therapists <laughs> on there. Brittany is a huge fan of TikTok and does an awesome oh, job with yeah. ours. Um, I guess you should definitely check out our work on there, but <laughs> the, um, one of the metaphors that I use, and that's the thing that I saw Brittany answer was one of her favorite metaphors in therapy, and I just haven't answered it yet where another therapist asked that. What are your favorite metaphors? And this like idea of radical acceptance is one of my favorite ones. It mm-hmm. stems from when I was a kid, my dad was in the Navy... And in the Forest Park Naval uh, Station, which I don't know why the fuck there is a naval station in Forest Park, which is, uh, for those of you not familiar with Chicago area, there is absolutely no water.
2: This is fucking landlocked over there. What the fuck is going on? That's I crazy. I don't
3: know. But there's, crazy. A, there's, a anyway. naval, there's a Naval Reserve Center and they have this simulation room where like, I was fascinated with it because I was like... like it's this chamber, this watertight chamber where there's a hole in a wall and they blast water through it to simulate, you know, like if you are on a boat or a ship, sorry, I called a boat, a ship, a boat. See, I'm a Navy <laughs> kid and I just failed. Uh, <laughs> my apologies, squid folk. Anyway, the um, it was a training for what to do in case there's a hole in the ship and there's a bunch of wood and a bunch of debris and shit that you're supposed to like plug in there and, you know shore up the water as fast as you can and like learn you know how fast a bulkhead fills up with water which is terrifying because Mm -hmm. it's fast yeah and uh i I thought about this and wondering like you know like that watertight chamber sticks in my head so i'm going to use that and this idea of radical acceptance and uh, acceptance and commitment therapy is basically this idea that what we do by default is we stand in a chamber like that and instead of like water coming in through a hole in the wall we'll just imagine it comes through the door and people get in this place where they stand and they brace themselves against this door against this water that is coming
4: yeah you cannot
3: stop this water you cannot hold that door shut forever because eventually the water is too powerful and that's what our emotions do is that water that emotion is coming When you have trauma and you have anxiety, when you have depression, you are going to hit a point in time where that emotion overtakes you. Mm -hmm. And what I see in my head is like people standing in this chamber using every available ounce of their energy to keep the water out, which will never work. Yeah. Ever. And by the time the water blasts into the door, there's so much of it that it fills the chamber quickly and we are so tired from holding the door shut against this impossible force that we fucking drown in it. And what acceptance and commitment therapy is all about is learning that if instead of fighting and keeping the door shut, you expend your energy on building a drain, building a path for the water to go in, you're still going to get wet. Mm -hmm. Maybe the water comes up to your knees when it comes in, but rather than getting, expending all of your energy, holding that door shut, which will never work and then drowning, Mm -hmm. you create a path. For the yeah. water to go in when it comes mm-hmm. and that way you never get to the point where you drown mm-hmm. because it never goes deeper than your knees you're still going to get cold you're still going to get wet the feeling is still going to come but if you can learn to accept that and plan for it have tools to deal with the known problems you've got coming instead of getting into this ridiculous pattern that we get into i get into it too with things that sometimes are thinking maybe this time i It won't happen. Maybe this time I'll stave it off. Maybe this time I won't be anxious. Maybe this time I won't be depressed. Maybe this time the flashback won't happen. And it's it's absurd. It's it doesn't work that way. No. Mm -hmm. It's absurd. But we all do it, including myself. We all do it. Like maybe this time it'll be fine. Like no, it won't. It's -hmm. gonna happen. You're gonna get overwhelmed. But if you create tools and a path and a set thing to do with it, that you know are available options to use when the feeling hits. The acceptance part that we see where Cadmus is out of going, I may have these nightmares. Mm-hmm. They will come. I will have them, but they will not break me. Mm-hmm. I will not succumb to them. I know that they will have them, but I will know that I've made a world, the world a better place. And creating that kind of path for that feeling to go, going, okay, the mm-hmm. feeling's coming you know like i i live on a beach there's a tide coming i better put my house on some fucking stilts yeah like it's not complicated to think about but it is complicated to do it within yourself of going okay i know i'm going to deal with unpleasantness yeah it's hard because the last thing we want especially when we're traumatized is to give up any inch of the progress we fought and clawed for that was taken from us
2: yeah yeah and it's not really stated in the movie, but in the book, we know it's been like 12 years. I think it's been a it's been a long like the epilogue happens. Oh, like, so she's had like 12 years to like go to therapy, hopefully, and come to terms with what you're talking about, Ben, like that radical acceptance place um, within her progress.
3: That I will control what I can control. I will surrender to the universe that mm-hmm. which belongs to the universe.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. all right so are do we feel comfortable sliding into final thoughts yes okay well i can go first i freaking love hungry
3: <laughs> <laughs> um the look on your face was so creepy
5: <laughs> right there
3: i just Aww. it was like just i can't even describe it to you but like the it was it was so creepy
2: well anyway <laughs> Um, My love for Hunger Games is creepy. Um, (laughs) See? No, I think... Britney
3: Reads fan fiction. (laughs) Hashtag.
2: (laughs) So does everybody. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) Um, But I think what I really love about, I guess, these movies particularly, is the realness of the dissociating when we see it. Um, When I first read these movies, I was in, read these books, I was in grad school for for doing what I do now, therapy. So I was really impressed with how real it all was, and and that they so clearly are going through it. And it wasn't just that like we are just keep on going. And d- the situation that scared me is past, so I'm past it. These movies do a good job of sh- taking what the books did so well, which is the stamp of being traumatized and how that lingers in different ways. And I love the epilogue. I love that she just goes and lives by herself with PETA in like their old rebuilding District 12. They're just quiet existing with their kids and neither of them are in power. They're just regular old people. And I think that is really... I think that's a good narrative for people who are reading these books who have gone through trauma is that I think a lot of stories like this, the Katniss character becomes coin. They become the president. They become the leader. They're like real shiny and evolved. And the fact that she doesn't become that at all, Mm -hmm. is so, I think, very affirming. I would imagine very affirming if you read these books and you identify with Katniss. And I think it's just realistic. Why wouldn't she just want to be safe and calm for the rest of her life as much as she can? And also in the books, they talk about how she was really reluctant to have kids, which I think is really realistic as well. And it makes sense that she would finally have kids once she kind of recognized how much PETA wanted them. And I think that's very normal and very adult. And so I love these movies. I think these movies do a great job of demonstrating the books correctly, and I friggin' love the books. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We'll watch again. Yes, always. Um, Yeah, I love Hunger Games, too. Um, I read the books also when I was in grad school, (laughs) Um, oddly enough. And... um, really again that the connection of the connection of what she is going through i think was part of what really struck me and i think the other the other piece of that also was the book as we always know the books give us more context of of the story but I feel like what the books really part of the reason why I think I love the movie so much is because hearing her voice and the turmoil that she's constantly in in the books Mm -hmm. and then being and then Jennifer Lawrence acts it so beautifully in these movies that I feel like you really can get that sense like more than you usually can in terms of the kind of Mm -hmm. how torn she really is on a consistent basis and I also feel like the I love I also love the epilogue I love the idea that the idea because what we're seeing and what we're watching is her getting used by everybody around her for their for their own use like this is not this is not and that the and that the one choice that she made was when she volunteered for her sister yeah that is the one choice that she made on her own everything else was manipulated in some way by the people around her trying to get what the fuck they wanted. So I really feel like the idea that she would make the choice to go to just go home and have this life of really saying like, I never wanted to, I never wanted any of this. She took herself out of the game. Absolutely. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go to a place where I don't have to feel like every decision I have to make is like this major, huge decision. I mean, even if we think about when she's in, goes to the hospital and she is kind of realizing that everyone is recognizing her and kind of having that experience of like, okay, everybody knows who I am and everybody's watching my response. Like there's just so much fucking pressure on her all the fucking time. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so that's part of why I, you know, I love these books. I love, I really love the movies. The first movie is kind of whatever, but the if you read the books the dialogue and the story from the second movie to the last movie is almost word for word from the book,
0: mm-hmm. so
2: those movies are just really, really good. And one of the and one of the um, best adaptations that I feel like I've just really enjoyed in terms of the pieces that I that I like that they kept. So, mm-hmm. and I love Peta. I know I love, <laughs> I love Peta so much. I just want to. They should Take have showed him them. painting more in the movies. Yes, he I miss to be that. painting more. I know. And, I, and too. yeah, building on what you said as well, it makes sense that she goes to a place where she's felt safest for longest. Yeah, she goes home and she just tries to, which I think is very true when you've gone through a lot of trauma. I just need to think about what I'm going to eat today. Yeah, I just need to think about. I just had to find one thing I'm going to do today, which is like maybe plant a garden. Yeah, you know, getting really back to the simple simplistics to her roots. And to just, like, I only have to make this decision today, and no one needs anything from me. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, um, yeah, I'll definitely watch these movies again. I watch them a couple times a year, oddly enough. (laughs) Me and Brittany were literally just discussing watching them for no apparent reason. So I'll definitely, uh, I will always watch these movies.
3: I guess that leaves me. I also love The Hunger Games. I've loved it since the first time I saw it. I was also in grad school no shit <laughs> well i guess that's
2: when they
3: i mean like, that's when they then they came popular. out right right at the time that we were in grad school and then yeah. for me like i think it ended when i was shortly out of grad school into my first job uh but the learning like the way that this story is written beautifully addresses trauma in a way that is both real and compassionate to it by displaying it in a way that feels accessible to humans. And that's one of the things, like, why, one of the reasons why we do the podcast that we do. And I talked about this on an episode I did with our friends' capes on the couch. And uh, I know we got, like, a, a one piece of feedback about it that someone really liked that we were talking about this. And uh, we do this podcast through the medium of movies Because it makes it accessible to people to see and feel these things that might help them identify with something that they've seen in themselves. And I feel like Hunger Games is one that appealed to an entire generation that let them see the strength and the resilience and the horror of of war and trauma and being in a war-torn environment and have everything taken from you through the lens of a female character that did not depend on a male to save her, that she did it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this was a beautiful way, especially like having a daughter. I extra appreciate that. Now I always have, but to, to have that lay on giving young girls someone to identify of going, your pain is real. Your pain is, can hurt you your pain can cause damage to you the world will use you up and spit you out and manipulate you into the things but that doesn't mean that you can't recover that doesn't mean you can't say no that doesn't mean you can't fight
2: hell yeah fuck yeah
3: and that is what i see when i watch these movies and now especially like when my daughter is old enough i look forward to sharing this with her Mm -hmm. because i think it's just such a real raw way to address like Bad stuff happens and it will fuck you up. And it is okay. And you just
2: yell that in your kid's face every morning.
3: <laughs> you know, I might revise my choice of language and in intensity. Eyes up, Ava. Get him. <laughs> <laughs> Drama door will break you. No, for but context,
2: like. she's like two. Yeah, yeah. She's she's a little. Is she three now? She's
5: al- she's, she's
3: almost gonna be, three. She'll okay. be three in a couple weeks. Yeah. She's yeah, a couple weeks. Yep. Yeah. About a month. Yeah. Um, she. Uh, a little warrior herself, though. That one, yeah. Um, but despite being a shrimp, she, she <laughs> takes after her mama, who is 410. <laughs> I am not, <laughs> but the like seeing this, like this, this story, I think, helps me connect to to things that I hope that like everyone else connects. And I know, like, seeing little girls running around with bow and arrows for a while was indicative of how powerful this story is, is like letting people know that you can have pain, you can feel it, it can be real, it can be whatever it needs to be, and you don't have to make excuses for it, you don't have to justify it, and you don't have to look pretty when doing it. Because one of the things that I noticed really stuck out to me watching the film this time is how natural they made Jennifer Lawrence look through yes. so much of the film.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, because it it makes it really jarring when she's made up you're like oh shit she's full face on
3: right which when boggs called out like you made like make her look like a girl she is still a girl you made her look 35 (laughs) yeah and Mm -hmm. like seeing just like the power of that of letting like jennifer lawrence look like a normal person yeah when she's on screen not wearing excessive loads of makeup not using the ideal shades and angles and colors and all of the things that these makeup artists do beautifully to make people who are on screens look as beautiful as possible they let this be set in an era with a like where that shit doesn't matter and she doesn't give a fuck yeah about it which is exactly what should be because if someone is shooting bullets at me and making monsters and all sorts of traps and all other crazy shit and trying to kill me and terrorize me. The last thing I care about is how I look. Yeah. yeah. And that's where she's at. And I just, I I love the way that these were written. I love that a screenwriter wrote these novels and that they took off the way they did. I have not read Songbirds and Snakes yet, but I look forward to reading that. And I, I love this series and I see why it has taken its place, rightfully so, among the trilogies. Mm-hmm. Yeah absolutely like it, it is one of the ones in which you talk about it is in the trilogy and then the trilogy of meter this is one of the ones where i guess there's four but i just would we'll just count it as three movies because that's what all of us yeah. do anyway <laughs> is that like this is one where like the first one was good and it got better from there
2: yeah absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. i couldn't agree where more. the quality of it was the same beginning to end mm-hmm. like they didn't get like jump the shark or get corny Mm-hmm. Or, like, lose quality by the end, yeah,
3: no. And like risks were taken in mm-hmm. the third book, like with the with the going from like about the games to like straight up open war, yeah, like this went from you know, a story about a girl taking on everything to a how she fits in the revolution and
2: a controversial ending, like that coin wasn't just a savior. Mm-hmm. that coin was also bad, and that our our hero kills openly murders someone. Yeah. It's just, it's a very, I remember being shocked when I read it and being like, wow, this book is. It's always gone there, but it's going there now. I remember reading the third book and thinking, how the fuck are they going to make this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) How are they going to make this ending? Because, because what's really, if you haven't read the books, I'd really highly suggest it if you can. Yep. Because it's as jarring as it is when you see it on screen in print. It's wild. I don't think I've read anything quite like that before i definitely i can when i get like when i'm reading a book that i'm really into i can start reading too fast not surprising and i think that was one of those times when i was i read that too fast and i was like what happened yeah. and i had to like go backwards and like yeah. reread it because that's how quick it happens in the books
3: right yeah? and like the, the turn she makes to like go like that that seemed like the intensity of that when you first encounter that is one of those moments where you're just like what mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> like because you're like, there is no way this character could let this stand knowing what yeah. she knows. Yeah. And the minute, like, Coin suggested another Hunger Games, she sealed her own fate.
2: Which I think we could also argue, we didn't even get into that. Like, the trauma of that, of like thinking you had this person who's going to make the world safe, and then they bring up restarting the thing that was the worst that's ever happened to you. Yeah. Like, oof. Yeah. Right. Dark. Mm-hmm. Well, stuff. On that note,
3: <laughs> right? Yes, <laughs> yes. On, 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 on that note, we'll wrap here. But <laughs> w- what I want to make sure I hit is that folks, we we do appreciate your guys' reviews, your ratings. Those are the things that boost podcasts so much. So if you've enjoyed the show today, if you enjoy listening to us, and want to help us grow, please, by all means, the best things you can do for us are rate and review us, share us with your friends, blast our show and what you like about it out on social media we can't tell you how appreciative of you guys you are when when that happens for us is that we see it and when you guys email us or message us we read those we We share them to each other we go like ah look at this like and it it feels good to us to have those and it makes us feel like we're we're reaching you which is what we wanted to do with this is going we want to make our profession accessible to everyone through stories that we all love and Mm -hmm. When we know when yeah. we hit home, we appreciate knowing that, and when we get something wrong or we mess something up, we appreciate knowing that too, so we can issue corrections and revise our approach. So please, like, if you need to contact us, if you want to reach out to us on any of our social medias or on our email at popcornpsychology@gmail.com, at we we really do appreciate all that. And uh, you know, from time to time, we do run contests for free merch, which we are now offering through T Public. So. You know, stay tuned because we're overdue to offer one of those soon. So we'll mm-hmm. be offering a free merch uh, contest soon,
2: and we have a Patreon. If you want to sponsor us for via Patreon, you get some free swag. If you um, if you sign up for fifty dollars, you can pick you know, the movie we talk about in an episode. So that's pretty dope. Um, and like Ben said earlier, we have a TikTok now, Popcorn Psychology. Um, if you want to find us there or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Popcorn Psychology and Twitter at popcorn underscore psych. But yeah, thank you for joining us. Let the,
5: you know, may the odds be ever in your favor.
4: 18 plus.